0: Hi, everybody. This is producer Peter. This is an episode where we talk about the movie Leaving Las Vegas and the movie The Runner. Leaving Las Vegas is about a man who has severe alcoholism and drinks himself to death, and is also very candid about talking about uh, sex work. So just be aware that those are topics that we are going to discuss.
1: Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: so we're cool if you're having an affair people
0: affairs cool just don't be a dick about it
1: i mean if you're an alcoholic i'm not gonna treat you poorly it's fine if you're an alcoholic too
0: just don't be a dick yeah yeah that's the general policy don't be a dick don't be a dick
2: and with that welcome back to cage match Colin, a roundabout way of meeting nicholas cage i am one of your three talking people here sean i am second talking person nick
0: hi and i'm producer peter the third talking person who will talk less
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh this week we are we watched leaving las vegas uh, from 1995 i believe and uh 2015 correct the runner a movie i'm sure you've never heard of which is a shame
1: because you should always know what to avoid i'm kidding it's
0: (laughs) delightful I did get annoyed, though, trying to look it up on IMDb because it would always bring up any other movie. Maze Runner.
1: Anything but The Runner. Anything
0: but this movie. Which surely you didn't mean this movie. Yeah.
1: I was getting frustrated looking to find it to watch it until I realized I owned it. And then I was frustrated that I owned it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had to watch it on Freebie. The ads were shockingly the most entertaining part. There'd be a real serious moment and it cut to like Cheetos. (laughs) So that was amazing. Yeah. Snap into
1: a slim gym. Or a fucking surge ad, where people just start plowing through each other, like jumping over couches while playing street hockey. Surge. Um I miss Surge.
0: I used to sell jolt cola at my high school. Yeah. Like I used to sell. Under the bleachers. I mean kind of. Was it like outlawed? Well, it was like so heavily caffeinated that they didn't want it around on campus. But I mean, that's absurd to say back. Is this like,
2: is this how your hmm. uh, fascination with trench coats started, Peter?
0: That and my love of flashing. There we go. Yeah. We got there. Um, it's Wiener Wednesday, everybody. <laughs> Wednesday,
2: yeah, we're, right? we're recording on a Wednesday, uh, which is odd for us. But, uh, you know, our podcast, uh, like our decision making in terms of what wins is Mercurial. That's the word. And, uh, you know, we kind of make up the rules as we go along. And based on the way the winds go and the fickle decisions of our Lord and Savior, Thor, hail Thor, we picked some weird winners in the past based on the caginess of the film. I'm just going to say up front, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by the winner this week. No, they probably shouldn't be. Oh, we should talk about why we're doing this.
0: Through no science or metrics, we are going to determine... Out of 64 The Will of Thor and The Will of Thor, out of 64 Nicolas Cage movies, a mixture of good and bad, but mostly uh, ranked from best to worst. The cagiest or most enjoyable Nick Cage movie by the end of this March Madness bracket style.
2: So, yeah, we will come up with the ultimate Nick Cage flick uh, definitively forever, um, which everyone will agree with.
0: Yeah. The internet will have no problem with our decision. Well, and Nicolas Cage will uh, confirm it for us too in person. Oh man,
2: the ultimate goal is to meet Nicolas Cage. I mean, yes. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. If we don't make it to the end, but we meet Nicolas Cage before that, I'm just fucking packing it in because we're never going to we're never going to match that high.
1: Well, if we meet Nicolas Cage like mid-run and we
2: just stop, <laughs> I mean, the whole point of this is to meet Nick Cage. Yeah. So I I'm like sorry that his to all the fans. Yeah,
0: yeah. and our, our Patreon supporter, both of our fans.
1: Oh yeah, Thanks, we got Josh. like a whole nother Patreon supporter. Well, did we? Well, he sent me some money over Venmo. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and gotta, I was like, "Do you do you want to join the Patreon?"
0: <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta Wait, give.
1: Is this sh- someone you know? Yeah, it's somebody I know. Okay.
0: Give, give him a shout out. That'd be the, weird. Uh, yeah, he, he's now uh, in the Sparkle Buddy tier.
1: This one's for you, Sean, who's not my co-host. Nailed it. That would have been oh, very confusing for me. Somebody has to keep this thing afloat. <laughs> I'm just talent.
2: All right, enough jokes. Enough jokes on our comedy podcast. Let's talk Nick Cage films. (laughs) I think we should start with The Runner this week. Yeah, we've already
1: kind of given a little intro to it.
2: Yeah, The Runner is a film about, uh, takes place in 2010, right after the BP oil spill. Local politician, he's looking to run for uh, the Senate when, like most every politician, he's got a dirty little secret and has had an affair and has to resign in
0: disgrace. The dirty secret is his penis,
1: which can we just say? I don't think that was a secret because he seemed to be passing that around. Oh,
2: my God. We have seen Nick Cage hump so much these last few months. It's really inspiring. I do. I have appreciated the um, wayward nature of his sternum bush. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Topless Nick
1: Cage is really something. He's got just like quite the Brillo pad up there.
2: Or like it's Ghost Rider where it's silky smooth. Oh, well,
0: I One mean, my... that was
1: for aerodynamics.
2: <laughs> I True. mean, he, he needed to drive fast. Uh-huh.
0: One of my very few notes from this episode was Harry Cage returns. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. So this movie is going to star a bunch of people you've never heard of, but three super cool people. Nicolas Cage as Colin Price. Peter Fonda in here as Rain Price, that's Nicolas Cage's alcoholic father, and making his big return, Wendell Pierce, Frank LeGrand. Shit. As Nick Cage's, like, political... What are those things they do? They, uh... Like oh, he's a campaign, guy, campaign manager. He's a campaign, campaign, campaign manager.
2: Well, I mean, what, just...
1: What's that thing that politicians do? They campaign.
2: So, with that, I mean, we've already seen... Peter Fonda and Wendell Pierce in two other Nick Cage films. We saw Peter Fonda play well in this film. He plays Nick Cage's father, whereas in Ghost Rider he played the Ghost Rider's ghost daddy. Oh, ghost daddy. Ghost daddy. Um, yeah, and Wendell Pierce played his partner in "It Could Happen to You," and we also there was also one other connection. Like this was just a who's who of people who've been in Nick Cage films. Uh, Judd Lemand, I think was his name, who was uh, in Rage, Left Behind, and USS Indianapolis colon men of courage. Wow. So this guy's been in four other Nick Cage films.
0: So I mean this is really actually fueling the NCU theory, right?
2: <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that theory. So this movie was done, I feel, at a very specific time in Cage's career when he was just taking literally anything. It's not his best movie times for sure. No, cuz I mean, I just watched this movie last night and I can tell you very little about it. It is not horrendously memorable.
1: <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's just Nicolas Cage is sober. Like he he's a non-drinker. He stopped drinking. His father had an alcohol problem. He, continues to yeah continues to he's probably just gonna drink himself to death uh which, spoiler alert he does yeah like he gets into this sex scandal kind of loses his political career because of it ends up like picking up drinking when he and his wife split up
2: I mean she's a politician's wife and they were both lawyers and her whole stance is at first that this is worse for this is just bad for both their careers. And she just straight up tells him if he resigns, she will leave him.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, she was a terrible wife. Like, it was obviously a very politically based marriage. She only wanted to be with him because it was going to propel her as he climbed up into the Senate and stuff.
2: Well, and he his character is supposed to be very kind of moral. He's very anti oil, wants new energy. So he has a sit down with a CEO of.
1: Yeah, fictional, whatever yeah. it is, I'm sure.
2: Um, And, you know, this guy's trying to get Nick Cage in his back pocket for when he runs for the Senate. And, you know, his wife set up the meeting and she's pissed that he's not kind of taking the money. Yeah. So, yeah, he uh loses his, you know, loses all clout, re- uh, resigns in shame. We get a great little montage of him starting to drink again and uh, seeing sex workers. I did have a note uh, for this scene, though. I'm wondering if maybe Trojan paid for any of this movie, because there's a very prominent displayed two Trojan condoms Mm. on the nightstand.
1: But you don't have your condoms just in like an artistic display.
2: I keep mine in a like jewel case with like a little glass uh, bell over it.
1: Like a cloche. Yeah. Yeah. Glass cloche. Yeah. Hey, what's for dinner tonight? wiener wednesday
2: <laughs> all right this episode might be funnier than i thought it would be
1: <laughs> so fun. long as we don't talk about the movies we're
2: fucking banging here
1: he starts a non-profit just mm-hmm. kind of trying to help out all the fishermen and to get the water cleaned up yeah uh
2: make sure they get their insurance money their money from
1: bp um, but nobody wants to pay for any of this yeah obviously because it's expensive and cage doesn't have any money yeah so He ends up, like, getting a large donation. Three, what was it? Three and a half million? Yeah. Something like that. And so it's like, oh, hey, we're actually going to be able to move forward on some of this. And then they get a bunch of new, like, clients show up. And, you know, he he can't afford it to cover everybody. But the money
2: winds up, it comes from that fictional oil company again.
1: Yeah. And long story short, he ends up meeting with them, taking the deal reigniting his career
2: and, and yeah it becomes a full shill for big oil like the movie starts with him talking about being there for the workers of louisiana and the fishermen and how beep he's ruined that and the last scene is him giving the exact same speech but about how you know we have to rely on oil and how we can't put good hard-working oil workers out of work right and then it zooms out to this shot of cartoonishly bad cg like plumes of smoke and smokestacks like just in fire yeah uh, i don't know if they had an agenda super when they very, it's super it heavy-handed
1: it doesn't seem like they were trying to steer us away from oil at all are you telling me that politicians are bad and corporate shills all the politicians i know are
2: as a whole like nick cage's <laughs> 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 uh, nick cage's performance in this is not bad i mean it's nick cage he's gonna put in the work yeah. Like I thought he, I thought by and large, all the main actors did a fine job with the material. It is a very dry, sardonic political drama, like nothing really of consequence happens to anybody. He right. has a, he winds up starting to date his publicist. And but then, she's separated
1: from her husband and they end up getting back together. And that just makes Cage drink more.
2: Yeah, and that's when he kind of goes over the deep end. And that's the straw that broke the camel's back that made him makes him go back to his wife he it's really sad in, yeah. it's like
1: oh i can't have my girlfriend i guess i better just have my political non-romantic relationship back and then
2: just you know ha- get hack my career back and... by like just being a complete hack and yeah
1: yeah so it's like what like pretty pretty quick succession like was it his dad died and then uh his lady
2: gets back with her husband and yeah and then he goes on a bender and Tries to go back to his old house, which up to this point, he could still like open the gate with the clicker and the wife like finally disconnected that. So he wound up just careening, yeah, burning just rubber, the gates. rammed the gate and then crashed into his old garage and then is like later like woken up in the car, bleeding from his head by his ex, his wife, because they never actually get divorced.
1: Right. The divorce papers yeah. never got signed. And that's the runner. Yeah. So it's a banger. I, you know, this movie's kind of got me thinking that we need to put together like an audio book or something that we can sell and just do the Nick Cage dialect, like school of dialects. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. His, let's talk
2: about this. Uh, let's talk about the accent.
1: I mean, it comes out hard with a Louisiana accent that most times sounds kind of Bostony. I think a lot of his accents come off very Massachusetts. This one, it's got the occasional kind of I
2: had in my, I had written in my notes, Elmer Fuddish. Yeah. He's very, very concerned (laughs) about the people of Louisiana.
0: I thought Peter Fonda's was okay, but Nick Cage's was pretty bad. I mean,
2: Peter Fonda's accent was a lot better than his accent or whatever you would call his acting in Ghost Rider. Was his first line in Ghost Rider again?
1: Groovy oh i thought it was hey that's my horse <laughs> it is not
2: no that was uh sam elliott's oh, first yeah, line yeah.
1: my ghost horse
2: but yeah that was uh, the accent
1: was a bit much it was pretty rough kind of sidebar how many like great accents quotation marks have we had here
2: he had his new york cop accent
1: oh yeah new york cop his new york cop in uh 9 11 movie was so
2: fucking bad yeah. that one was bad
0: but his new york cop when he was pretending to be a cop in sorcerer's apprentice was pretty, pretty good yeah. <laughs> when it was, and that was supposed to be more of a caricature
1: yeah uh so louisiana new york i don't know there's others i didn't do any research on this so fuck it fuck you too Okay, moving on. Yeah, oh, no, I mean, not
2: Ghost, his, uh, his weird Texas accent and Ghost Rider. Oh, writer, yeah. His tex- that was bad.
0: Yeah. I know. I was looking at uh, movies that came out around this time, and I, it really does kind of go into my theory that this is him just trying to recoup his lost money after he had all the tax problems, and I think this is the narrative I'm sticking with because there's a real specific window of time where he makes each of these kinds of movies where they're like he's making a couple million bucks they don't do very well it doesn't matter he does a fine job acting but like nobody gives a shit about these movies and every single poster is him slightly turned mouth slightly agape oh
2: man that's oh, hot well also one of the first things i noticed about this film it's the same way that um what was that awful one we watched uh like literally the worst one we've watched
0: left behind no this one was worse than left behind Did we say something was worse than Left Behind?
2: I think it was.
0: um, Oh uh, yeah, Dying of the Light? Dying of the Light, light, that that was so so bad. bad.
2: Like a lot of movies he did of that time, and Peter, you pointed out me earlier, this is just a product of that time I forgot, is just both those movies just kind of start in an extreme close-up of Nick Cage talking, like giving a speech, and uh, a lot of shaky cam, like no no steady cams on this, which might be explained by the fact that the budget for this movie was only $6 million, and it made... Ninety-three thousand gross.
1: Ninety-three thousand gross ass dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Pulled from the sweaty bras of Louisiana sex workers.
2: <laughs> you know, I like how you make sure to like slow down your speech and kind of change your cadence whenever you say that. <laughs> so it definitely sounds like we have to redub you. <laughs>
0: It really does. Yeah, it sounds like I'm cutting these in. It's like the quack sound. I'm, I'm just <laughs> redubbing myself
1: as I go. It's like, I really got to slow down. On the fly, live editing well, in your brain. It's how I have to talk to people.
2: This one was a hard one to do a deep dive on because there was literally no information about it. Mm. Like, I even looked up the director who has three feature films to his name and one of them is in pre-production, which usually a bad sign. But then we look at Pig, which had basically the same pedigree. Yeah. And that's... My favorite film we've watched
1: so far. That was a really good movie.
2: Except for Ghost Rider. Right. Which
1: will go all the way. uh, Until we hit Ghost Rider. Spirit Spirit of of Vengeance. Vengeance. Yeah. That movie's a
2: banger.
0: Was there anything redeeming about The Runner?
2: I thought the performances were good. I thought the acting for what it is, is good. It's meant to be a very dry... There's not a lot of emotion throughout the film. What little like scenes of emotion are when he's calling... The woman he's seen at the end after his dad dies. There's a genuinely good performance in there.
1: And I think like you get some like real honest, good scenes of regret and everything. Like as Nick Cage is regressing back into alcoholism, like when he shows up at that bar, it just kind of felt like he knew that this was it. He is just he's not coming back from it.
2: Like I was I was expecting a worse performance from him. And the other film we're going to discuss, Leaving Las Vegas The joke that everyone makes and kind of the joke that we started this podcast with was, oh, Nick Cage, he's in everything. But, you know, he is an astounding actor. Yeah. Even when the material isn't great, he can still put on a performance. I will say... He's never forgettable. No. I will say, like, it's a very subtle role this time. He's not... He doesn't really cage out in the movie at all, but it's a a really strong... Which is funny kind because of underrated it's, performance.
1: we can just move right into it. It's probably one of his cageyest meta cageyest performances because all of the drunk scenes and stuff, he prepped for it by getting shit faced, filming himself and then watching the film. Oh,
2: now we're talking about leaving Las Vegas.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just over
0: the runner now. Okay. I'm getting right into.
2: Well, here we can just we can <laughs> connect these two movies right now. Both movies are about alcoholics. Mm,
0: yeah Yeah. i mean we're really good at threading this accidentally so here you go two alcoholism movies Yeah, uh two actually good
1: makeup jobs of the jaundice as the liver fails Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: yeah there was a lot of weird connections but the deep dive on leaving las vegas was astounding and yeah nick you pointed out one of the most interesting things we're in peak um method actor mode like the way he studied for this role was by getting blitzed and filming himself so he could learn his own drunken speech patterns
1: yeah and he spent time at hospitals with like dying career alcoholics so he could see like look at that thousand yard stare and like this is the the shakes you know
2: pulling out his own teeth for a role yeah tough yeah i mean elizabeth shu spent time on the strip with sex workers and interviewed sex workers for this role like they both put in a lot of time and energy and commitment of their own to prepare for these performances and it shows
1: yeah they gave really really good honest performances and it it really makes sense that both of them were nominated for best performer uh oscars
2: four nominations total in the oscars uh the 96 oscars nick cage Best Performing Actor, the Shoe, Best Performing Actress, Best Director, mm-hmm. and Best Screenplay. Weirdly not Best Film, because every other film that was nominated for Best Screenplay was also nominated for Best Film.
1: Yeah, and it, it's weird. It This movie has been nominated for a lot of things.
2: Well, yeah. it's, I mean, this is what Nicolas Cage won his Oscar for, rightfully so.
1: Yeah. And coming out of like a real banger of a year in 94. Yeah. Where we've already seen a couple of his movies that and are not great. So the movie, but did... some of them are really good. Yes. So uh,
2: the movie he did directly before this was trapped in paradise. Oh yeah. And one of the, one of his reasons for doing this film is cause he hated that movie so much that he wanted to like go do something the complete opposite. Like, well good on him cause he fucking crushed it. So just real quick, this movie stars Nicolas Cage as alcoholic, uh, disgraced screenwriter Ben Sanderson, pretty much just tanks his career in L.A., burns all of his stuff, puts all of his clothes in, trash bags, leaves him on the uh, curb, and decides he's going to go to Vegas and drink himself to death. Maxing out all of his cards, selling his car, he thinks he can do it in about four weeks. That is his plan. Elizabeth Shue plays a sex worker named Sarah, who meets Ben, like, kind of first night there, and they form a friendship, a love interest of types. It's very. Um,
1: well, it was probably pretty cathartic for her because yeah. he wasn't interested in sex throughout like the majority of the movie. Sex wasn't his motivation.
2: But that's the, really the only way she knows to show. Yeah. Any affection. And he's not really providing her with that. It's I'm trying to what's a good what's the word. Uh, it's a very codependent relationship. Very much like so. he's, you know. Right up, like, she has him move in with him right away, and right out the gate, he's just like, you can never tell me to stop drinking. Like, you have to let me do this, and that runs its course. Yeah. And it's really not until she goes out working one night, and he goes out gambling, gets drunk, and then brings another sex worker back to her place, where the wheels finally come off that relationship. Yeah. Uh The making of the film, though, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, every story about this film is insane. and it For did. good and bad reasons. Like, the, the making of this film also has a lot of sadness behind it. Like, the author of the book committed suicide, I believe, about two weeks into production. I rewatched that movie uh, this morning. The last scene of the film is of Ben Sanderson in kind of a in-memoriam type, just like freeze frame of him just on the strip just smiling, like, after he's died in the movie. I'm like, that's a really weird way to end this film. And I'm kind of wondering if that's just a... was more meant to be a nod to the Author of the book, yeah, I think it, there
1: were some nice little nods, like that watch that he's wearing was the novel author's watch.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the Rolex Daytona.
1: Yeah, yeah, the ninety three Rolex Daytona.
0: Which yeah. did you look up the value?
1: Yeah, like twenty thousand dollars used, twenty grand. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And he sells it for five hundred dollars at a pawn shop.
1: I did love that after he sells that, there's at least one. I think two other times where he goes and like looks at his watch <laughs> yes. just so naturally and it's just not there and he's you know he's drunk and it's just like oh no oh, don't know what fucking
2: time it is because I sold that There's only one other named re- really named character in this film who has even a monochrome of screen time which is Yuri played by Julian Sands who is Sarah's pimp at the beginning of this film who's run into some money problems with some Russian mobsters, and they quickly take him out of the film.
0: Yeah, he's not in it for too long. But I'm, not this sure, movie. I'm not sure there was even a necessary element to that. Like, why did they even bother with him?
2: Just to show where Sarah's kind of starting yeah, out, and, like, and her relationship with the, like, only other man in her life, probably. Yeah, and the abuse
1: of being a sex worker, because mm-hmm. yeah, like, he right. used to, like, cut her butt and things like that.
2: Like, we see her get down with a few people in this film and it's always a performance and she talks about that in kind of one of her first talking head scenes it, she talks about like the performance of being a sex worker oh, oh, okay and the one scene we see of her having sex is not a performance with is with yuri and it is you can just see in her face just how awful it is for her mm-hmm. like, just to go to that character again those talking head scenes are astounding uh, they're really something
1: weird because they were pre-production hair makeup and costuming yeah they were screen screen tests tests. and then the director decided to put them in even though the producers were like "Mm, i don't know about that he's like yeah fuck it do it
2: but like they really do kind of emphasize the scenes that they get paired up with
1: it's also just uh, for me it was kind of it took me out a little bit because it's so jarring it goes to like at home hand cam kind of appearance like you know, it doesn't have professional lighting and sound. And it's it's also kind of weird because it makes you think, like, is she talking to a therapist? Is she talking to a friend?
2: Yeah, or? and it's never specified. But no, yeah, they show up pretty heavy in the first act. And you don't see them throughout the second act. Yeah. And you only get one more at the very end of the film. I kind of forgot they were a thing until it shows up at the end. Yeah, it's they're fine as little
1: like personal monologues. But it's also kind of weird because it's like, I don't feel like she's the lead, and I don't know if you can give those to not leads. I mean, she's the
2: female lead of one. I mean, but... Notable females. I mean, the movie's about Ben dying, but I would put Elizabeth Shoe's character... I would put Sarah as more of, like, the lead and the narrator of this film, because she's the one witnessing it. Like, she's who
0: we're seeing this through. Well, and she's certainly the more empathetic character. Yeah. I mean, it's... Hard to watch a guy who's just like kind of a sad sack drink himself to death. We don't get any buildup of him as a character to give a shit about. No. Well, it's even, just sort of like, I hey, I'm a drunk.
2: Even yeah,
1: there's the, certainly no satisfaction in his character.
2: Even the opening scene of him like dancing through the grocery store, just putting handles of liquor in the uh, shopping cart. That was meant to be a later scene when he's already decided to kill himself. But again, the director just like this sets us up perfectly for who this character is in one shot.
1: Yeah. I felt lied to because that scene opens up the movie or whatever. And I'm like, all right, got ourselves a little fucking romp here. We're going to have a, a nice, like pick me up movie. I'm going to enjoy
2: this. Nope. Mm-mm. Next no. scene. He's begging for money from like a producer, friend of his from like, Richard Lewis, from Richard Lewis, who's having a uh, dinner with Steven Weber from wings.
1: Yeah. This movie has and two nice ladies. And two nice definitely ladies. weren't sex workers. This movie has such a, a weird cast. There, uh there are so many fucking people in this movie who are just from out of nowhere, and in roles like French Stewart, businessman number two.
2: Yeah, who I rewatching today, I still couldn't see him in this film.
1: Oh well, you didn't see him actually on screen i don't don't think he had had
2: a line
0: line. was he just there squinting
2: yeah he was just there squinting he has like a shave like short i just missed him i mean i'm sure he had to be I'm he probably had a line at one point otherwise they wouldn't credit him for just being in the background another weird one uh the bartender in the biker bar i didn't like i recognized him and i was just staring at this guy's face the whole scene i'm like who the fuck is that guy it's julian lennon it's john lennon's son yeah so yeah there's just a lot of weird people in this movie uh the director uh mike biggs uh who's directed a bunch of stuff i've never heard of
1: i mean there were some things i think i had heard of like i'm just gonna say words cold mountain creek oh cold creek manor i was pretty close uh (laughs) oh so did you see that uh (laughs) the way he kept putting his production company into the Mm. movie on the taxis where you'd see the little uh red mullet yeah the like car tent or whatever the topper
0: i didn't i didn't catch that that was the production company i definitely saw that a bunch of times i was like Is some in joke
1: that's the yeah. director yeah that's his production company and then it's just a photo of him next to it looking extra <laughs> skeevy and it's like jesus well okay but it, it just... comes up like two
2: two times three. yeah times? you see i think you see it twice but it stands out every time it's main it's the focus of the shot yeah, um it's... this movie did a great job of depicting vegas as it really looks and that's shitty as fuck yeah like, I mean I a lot of wait it takes to go in a month. A lot of it months. takes place off the strip. It takes place in just Las Vegas, which is just a desert city. But like there's a lot of over the city shots during the day. And I'm like, that is not a pretty town.
1: No. A lot of things in Las Vegas are prettier with the lights out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sex worker
0: joke. Yeah, got it. <laughs> um one of my only other notes was uh that there are so many cleavage shots oh yeah yeah like they heavy on the cleavage Yeah, it was nice the slow i don't know salacious pans mm. up and down it's like jesus christ how's that for male i gaze? mean sex is not absent in this
2: movie no. no again you know we've seen nick cage hump a lot and uh i just based on like the 22 films we've seen already i'm assuming we're gonna see him hump a lot more uh just going back to the way this movie was filmed and like. All the weird things they had to do to get it done. Most of the shots on the strip are a single take, a single scene, because they had, were not permitted to film on the strip. Yeah. So they were all set up to just be kind of quick, one and done shots so they can get out of Dodge before the cops showed up. So a bit of guerrilla filmmaking.
0: I kind of love that. I mean, because I also hate the cops. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah.
2: We need an obligatory fuck the police in all of these episodes. Did we even have a cop in this film? Was there a cop?
0: No, no cops. Okay. I mean, no, no Nick Cage cops, certainly. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I don't think any cops. Oh, nice. That's refreshing. Yeah. yeah
0: cop-free episode.
1: Too bad it couldn't have been more of a romp, but.
2: <laughs> oh, Mike Biggs composed the score for this film.
1: I think it's Figus.
2: Figus? Oh, Sorry, the yes. second eye. Yeah, uh, Figgis uh, composed the score for this film and played trumpet on the soundtrack, on the score. Yeah. Ooh, I forgot my, uh, I forgot my joke for how this movie starts. There's an sting with Sting.
1: Uh, there's too much sting. There's too a lot sting. of sting. I fucking hate
0: the song. The music I thought actually was pretty shitty and it kind of took me out of the entire thing. Yeah. I did not like the directing.
2: It's yeah. it's a decision. Um, there's a lot of creative decisions. Again, it's a very personal, I feel like it's a very personal and voyeuristic film and I, I feel the directing really does hammer that home. Even his one big freak out, one of the few shots where we see them from afar is in the casino when he has his freak out. And we kind of see like from a bird's eye view, almost from like security kind of view of him losing his shit and like, n- like knocking over a waitress and toppling a card table. But all the other shots are real personal and real close. And like, I don't know, I feel like no, it's, it it's, gets the it gets the voyeuristic v- view right. I like the cinematography a lot. Yeah, yeah. Some fun Oscar facts about this film. Um, so Nick Cage was the only person to win from this movie, won best Oscar. Beat out Sean Penn mm-hmm. that year, who was in Racing with the Moon with him. Also beat out Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. That was a stacked year.
1: Yeah. Oh, it was a great year.
2: Three million six hundred dollars to film.
1: Not a huge budget. Three million six hundred or three million six hundred thousand? Six hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That's weird to just throw in six hundred dollars at the end of three million. <laughs> it's like here's three no, million. You're right. And cab fare. Um, it, like, made, what, what? it made
2: it made thirty two million gross. So did I mean especially at that time when you don't really have to consider for doubling budget. Um, mm-hmm. Nominated four Oscars, one best actor, nominated best director. Nicholas Cage and the director made no money from this. Mm. The studio was just like didn't make enough money to for your uh, for your back end. So the man's Oscar. He was not paid for his Oscar his Oscar winning performance.
1: I mean, it wasn't even much that he was supposed to get paid. This came up recently, uh, on the internet. I think it was like, I don't know. I'm probably way off like a hundred grand or some shit like that. He was making dirt money for this movie and didn't even make that.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Off a movie that made 36 mil.
2: So if, uh, all our griping at the beginning of this podcast, uh, didn't clue you in clearly the runner won.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was easily the most watchable. We loved it. (laughs) Um,
2: No, I can't even tell that. That joke doesn't have any legs. No, it's Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a great film. I'm glad I finally saw it because I did not see it before this, but it's not something I would seek out again anytime soon just because it is hard to watch. There is brutal depictions of alcoholism you can you really see the mania in his character, the ups, the downs. Amazing performance from everyone, especially French
0: Stewart. Yeah. Oh yeah, he Stole did his best squint.
2: <laughs> um, he brought his A
1: squint.
0: <laughs> I couldn't get out of my head him as Charlie Kaufman. Like I felt that that character and this one were so similar.
2: I mean, they both don't have hair plugs.
1: Yeah, they were definitely both some of his most. They're his best character roles by far from an acting standpoint, from what we've seen. I mean, he's just so confident all the time. Actually, he's so confident until like the very end, I feel like, cause he's always saying like how good he is in bed and how like, you're going to love fucking me and things like that. And he's like really laying it on. But then in the end, he's like just getting kind of morose and, Talking to Sarah, and she was talking about like having sex, and he just says he's not very good in bed, Yeah. and it's just like so sad, dude. That's more than just the core of who you are.
2: So the first scene we see him drinking, he's hitting on a, on a woman at a bar, and he's just like, "Let's go home, put on a movie. I'll make you like, I'll make you a slushy frozen drink, and we'll have sex." The bartender comes up and tells him to stop, and he just gets real quiet and solemn, like, "You're you're so pretty," and and. I want to have sex with you and I'm, and I'm really good at it. And it gets like you see he does such a great job and turns on a dime of those people who drink that much and who are that disassociated with everything, like the highs, the lows. Just uh, such a good performance.
1: Yeah. Well, this has been a fucking laugh riot. Got to see me struggle, say words like sex
0: worker. Mm, you did, you made it though.
1: There's a sex worker in every movie, I'm sure.
0: I mean, he does hump a lot in his movies. We have had very few other than the Disney ones that weren't Hump City. Yeah. Oh, we did get a little (laughs) bit of Nicolas Cage stroking
1: in this one. So this makes movie number three with Nick Cage masturbating. Also very, very Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. The most Charlie Kaufman thing he does.
2: Mostly due to the subject matter. We didn't really do quotes for this episode, but I did have one oh god no i lost it all right uh nick uh, pad for a minute <laughs>
1: looking at quotes on imdb because you didn't write shit down because you're not prepared like me all right what's your quote nick uh whoopsie <laughs> when he falls through a glass table
2: i'm a prickly pie. yeah i'm a prickly pear i'm sorry uh imdb people who write these quotes uh I just found giving you money makes me want to
0: come. They spelled it C-O-M-E. Yeah, they might have rules about not spelling it (laughs) C-U-M.
1: That seems weird. I mean, I've definitely read a fair amount of like, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s erotica and stuff. And it's it's been spelled both ways. Yeah,
2: I do. Okay, I did really like the line. So when he goes to move in with Ceres, packing up his uh, apartment um, is pouring whatever brown liquor he can into a pint glass, into like a 20-ounce pint glass. Yeah, like all the short bottles. Go all the short into bottles. He like goes to pack all of his clothes. Well, he packs all the bottles first, then goes to pack his clothes, and then he can't close it. So when he shows up at Sarah's place, his suitcase is clinking, and he says how the shirt she buys him will go really good with his suit, which is his only pair of clothing. And she's like, What should you do with your clothes? I threw them out, which was perhaps immoral, but I wanted to come to you clean, so to speak. Thought we'd go shopping, pick out a pair of jeans and 45 pairs of underwear. Just throw one out each day.
1: That's the goal. I do love the feel of unworn underwear just in my hands. I like to run it between my fingers.
2: Oh, and then, (laughs) of course, the quote when he's after getting in a bar fight, but he comes back to Sarah's place and he's. You know, the landlords love him being there, but he's like covered in like his face is covered in dried blood. His shirt's covered in dried blood. And as he's walking by the uh, landlord, the woman, he just goes, great ass.
1: Yeah. She's bent over like doing some gardening. (laughs) Lots of sexual harassment in this.
2: Yeah.
1: Sometimes a great ass just has to be commented on. As a construction worker, I know this to be true. It's classic. Yeah. You know, I felt more connected to this
2: character. One of my favorite memories of when I lived in one of my one of my all time, one of my all time favorite memories is when I still lived in San Francisco when I was a wee lad. I was a uh, of 22. I was crossing the street uh, in the mission and this sassy black construction worker who was like directing traffic was just like, shake it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like,
0: oh, you, <laughs> Rachel. Rachel likes getting catcalled. She's like, I do look good today. <laughs> uh Do you guys have anything else to to kind of wrap this up, put a bow on it, or?
2: Um, I see why he won the Oscar. Very well deserved. Um, I want to watch the movie that uh Susan Sarandon won the Oscar for, just because I want to see the performance that
0: beat Elizabeth you. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I can't so remember Sarandon's. <laughs> I believe she's a nun, uh, so yeah. <laughs> the question still
2: stands, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I do have one. I do have a story to close this uh, episode out on. So this movie ends with a dying Nicolas Cage Coming. Jack- jacking off, receiving a handjob, and then Elizabeth Shue finally mounting his dying body so she can finally have the sex with him that he's denied her this whole film. Um, it's the last three minutes of the film, and at this point, in the after watching this two-hour film, is when My roommate Hayden walks in the room, like walk comes back home, opens the door, and is like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching a Nick Cage movie for the podcast, and proceeds to just loom behind me over me for this entire scene. And I'm like, this is worse than if my parents walked in.
1: you know he was just trying to be supportive he was waiting in case he needed to like hug it out afterwards I understand after I watch (laughs) Nick Cage get his rocks off I gotta I gotta hug it out
2: Uh, I I uh,
1: need body to body pressure
2: uh, Peter how did you how did you say he died we can make sure that joke's in here
0: oh yeah he definitely dies coming to death and I feel like that freeze frame of him smiling on the strip should have just been him giving a thumbs up in bed (laughs) angelic look on his face I just had sex
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and now i'm dead uh i really? once after after seeing shazam with a lady uh when we were back at her place i climaxed and yelled shazam <laughs> and immediately got slapped
0: oh man <laughs> worth it see that was the wrong lady
1: i've had a couple really good end of sex Stings. even if i wasn't done i was just like <laughs> sex is over we're not doing this anymore like one time i did the uh Final Fantasy 7, like, battle music, like, finishing. just laid down going... <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Uh, One time I gave her the Spider-Man. <laughs> just finished I'm just like...
2: <laughs> <sesleri>
0: <laughs>
2: All right, thank you, everybody, for listening to... Oh, what I'm hoping is a great
0: episode. Yeah, we'll see how it all shakes out. So uh, next episode, we've got Color Out of Space, which looks like a really wacky one.
2: I'm excited for that one.
0: And Looking Glass, which I have already forgotten what it is, and we talked about it like a week ago.
2: Never heard of it. Yeah, so... Except for all the times we've definitely talked about it. Yeah,
0: it's in the fucking weird category, so these are going to be pretty bizarro. All right, well, thanks. Oh, I would like to... And just one more shout
2: out to all our uh, patrons, which I will read out now. Josh! And... Other Sean. Other oh, Sean. Is he actually on the Patreon? Well, well, he
1: gave five he bucks will to Nick.
2: Be. Is that going to be a monthly five bucks?
1: Hey. Monthly five bucks. Schedule that shit.
2: Yeah. Get on the Patreon. Then you'll get a shout-out. Otherwise, Thanks. fuck you. Thanks, Sean. Non uh, non working on this podcast, Sean. Nah, Sean, we love you. Um, also please like and share this because we don't pay for advertising and we would love to uh Have more people hear our sultry tones.
1: Oh, and comment in the bottom uh, your favorite movie
2: boobs. I want to hear about them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Movie boobs in the comments. Also, timestamps, so we can... um... Yeah, we want this to be Mr. Skin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You were wrong, Nick. This wasn't as bad as the 9-11 episode. (laughs) Yeah, 9-11
0: episode was rougher. Good night, everybody. We love you, Nick Cage.
1: Do you need more faces? At some point, you're just going to have a huge folder of our faces. (laughs) You'll never have to ask. Oh, man.
2: If Nick and I ever wind up dead for any reason and your computer is ever checked, like this guy had a weird obsession with these
1: two. (laughs) Yeah. If there's ever a deep fake of me on the Internet, I want the police to know that it was probably done by you.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: I will tell you, any movie that has like a solid tit sucking scene Will always be ingrained in my brain because the first time I ever saw anything like that was the Highlander and every theatrical Highlander movie has one of these scenes for some reason. So if I ever see a tit sucking scene in an actual film, it's it just immediately goes in. My brain is like, there's one of the first
1: this is a good movie. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. Her, her boobs were a shoe in for the old <laughs> spank thing. Um, but she, like, she spent I time... I that all this has I, to get cut out. I on. really want that one in there. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, it's still a comedy podcast. We're allowed to make jokes. Yeah, but I don't think I should be sexualizing
1: people like that. I don't know.
2: Um, but Elizabeth you uh, spent it. time
1: cut on... Cut my apology out. Put the joke in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not even sorry. Okay, that's our outro stay. Um...